Hello, everyone. All right, so um, take those off. Um, we're going to wrap up our series today on the Apostles' Creed, and um, we're going to look at those last few clauses. I'm going to try and cram it all in together. Uh, usually, I'd have wanted to do this in two, at least, messages, but I'm just going to really cram it in because of time constraints and my having missed a few weeks uh, with illness. Um, so we're going to look at that end part, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And, and so far as we've been looking at the creed, um, we've seen and declared God's wondrous works through, through the creation, through the ministry, death, uh, and the resurrection of Christ, and, and through the person and the works of the Holy Spirit. And last time that I was here speaking, uh, we, we, we shifted away from looking at God to looking at the identity of his people, of the church. Um, and, and, and here, today, we're coming to the first clauses, really, where we're, we're moving away from looking at the church collectively to ourselves, really individually, to humanity as, as, as being sinful. Um, see, although we spoke on the Holy Catholic Church, on the communion of saints, that was us together. That was us, all of those who profess faith, having received grace. So faith as the response to grace. And that's what the church is, a gathering of people who are responding to God's grace. But here... In the forgiveness of sins, we're stating a belief in humanity's sinfulness. And we're reminding ourselves of, of God's impending judgment on all who rebel against him. See, these four words, the forgiveness of sins, they drill home the importance of that faith as a response to grace. They drill home the desperate state that we as human beings are in. But it also proclaims gloriously the grace that God has for each of us. And it recalls that saving act of Christ on the cross at Calvary. And as we've seen, as we've walked through this confession of faith, looking at the creed, there's a lot that the church misses today whether they choose to or they just forget. And there's so many people who uh, like to leave things out as they're teaching, as they're, as they're looking to scripture, as they're trying to, to go and confess faith through the words of the creed. Or they try to change the meaning of what actually is stated. And that's the same here for this phrase and when we talk about the forgiveness of sins, you see, Sin is a fact. The need to confess and repent and live into belief is a fact. There are points which many church leaders, like I've just said, many preachers, they try to, to um, iron over cracks or, 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 they, or they choose to not talk about because they don't want to offend the people who are listening. But the truth here is that the only one who should be offended by our sin is God. 
That's ultimately what sin is. It's an offence to God. And if anyone here today hearing this message is offended by the words that I'm going to say and the words that I have said, then I'm going to, I call you to look deeply inside and ask, why is it that I feel offended? Why am I offended if someone calls me a sinner? Why am I offended if someone says you're rebelling against God? You see, Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Sin is a fact. For us as Christians, we've got to not only understand the doctrines of the church so that we can have uh, a better understanding of what it is that God does, who he is and who we are in him, but we've got to stand out on a limb and we have got to apply those doctrines to our lives. The doctrines of the church are based on scripture in the same way that the creed is based on scripture. Nothing in the creed comes from anywhere other than scripture. See, we've got to live into the hope that we have. And this phrase, the clause in the creed, the forgiveness of sins, that hangs on all of the hope that we have. And that word, that I just read from Paul. That brings us back, doesn't it not, to the creation story. And we looked at the beginning of this series of, of proclaiming that God made the heavens and the earth and that that came to a, a kind of climax in the creation of mankind. See, we all stand condemned before God because of our connection to Adam. But what Paul is getting at here when he writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is that as long as we go and we connect with, our, with, with Adam and we keep that as the important thing, we're going to fail. We're going to fall more. Some, so you could say we, we look to the headship of Adam. And if we look to the headship of Adam, then condemnation remains for all of us. Eternal judgment, it will come. We know that. We've looked at that in this creed already. And it's going to come when Christ comes again. However, that judgment is going to look very different for those who look to Christ as head, not Adam as head. There are our choices, really. That's what Paul is saying here. And there are many people, even within the church today, who are offended by the notion of sin. They're offended by the notion that you call them out that we call out the world as having looked away from Christ and returned to Adam. And the modern thought of people really is that we should live the life that we choose to live, that we should make whatever choices that we want to make because God loves us anyway. And that's a big, big lie. See, God does not love you as you are. He loves you 
despite of how you are. And that's a big thing that we've got to get back to. You know, churches today, they proclaim God loves you as you are. No, he doesn't. He loves you despite of how you are. He, he wants you to change. He doesn't love the sin that we all have. He wants us to move forward, but he loves us despite of the sin that we have. And talk show hosts, magazines, self-help magazines, tele-evangelists, and even some senior church leaders of denominations throughout the world are claiming authority by saying the big lie, but they're claiming authority over people of the church, over Christians. And they're replacing the inerrant word of God with this big lie. Because sin is real, isn't it? And sin boils down to what? In, in, in a nutshell, sin boils down to... It boils down to saying, I ask God to cease to be God. Let me explain that a little bit. It's saying, ultimately, get off your throne, God, because I want to sit there. That's what sin is. It's saying, you know, you're not, the, you're not the God of the cosmos. You're not the ruler. I want to rule. Thank you very much. And if we fail to understand sin in, 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 the, in, the, in the enormity that it is and name it in this way, then that leads to poor teaching. It leads to a neglect of scriptural truth. And history, history should teach us the dangers of doing this, the dangers from doing this. You can go, go back to the early church fathers and the whole debate with Pelagius. You know, he went and taught that mankind is inherently good. And every time I read that, I have to laugh because I'm not inherently good. <laughs> Just ask my wife. She'll tell you that. My parents will tell you that. I was a terror of a child. I'm not inherently good. He, he argues that you can choose God apart from God's grace. No, faith is a response to grace. You can't choose faith without having received grace. It's a big, big error that is taught and is coming back in some parts of the church. The Catholic church, you know, they get a lot of stuff right and they get some stuff wrong, as every church does. But the, the whole teaching on mortal or venial sin, that's not scriptural. Sin is sin. There's no segregation. There's no separation. There's no kind of categorization of sin. All sin is rebellion against God and leads to a place where we say we are better than God. doesn't matter what it is. There's not that categorization. And both of these examples that I just gave, we can find scriptures to back up our argument that sin is sin. It is a rebellion against God and ultimately is us saying we want to sit on the throne that he should be on. So what we're stating in the creed when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins is we're declaring truth that sin separates us from God. We're declaring a truth that 
the glorious gift of grace which leads us to a life of faith comes through his forgiveness. Paul puts it in a slightly different way in Romans 6 verse 23. He says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the atonement is. That's what it's all about. You break down the word atonement, you get at one meant. We are called to be at one with Christ in the moment and for eternity. That's what Christ does for us on the cross and through his resurrection. The forgiveness of sins is only made possible because of Christ going to the cross and then being raised from the dead. Yeah, the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, he's washed me white as snow. And in Jesus paying it all, he has opened the gate of glory for us. We get to declare more now than just the forgiveness of sins, but we go on to declare what? The resurrection of the life and the life everlasting. See, forgiveness of sins, it's so vital for us. The importance of confession, of repentance, of turning to him, away from the old to the new. Kind of knocking Adam off the pedestal that we often put him on as we put ourselves there and giving Christ the throne. That's what it is to return. That is, that is the act of the final stepping into belief through repentance. And that gives us resurrection, a resurrection life and life everlasting. See, the forgiveness of sins, I don't think I can say it enough. The forgiveness of sins is needed for us to step into faith. Without the forgiveness of sins and receiving the grace of God, we cannot live a life of faith. We've got to walk once more in his ways, and that means dropping our own ways. That means walking in his ways so that we can walk into eternity. You can't walk into eternity by following your own path. You can only get there by going through the gates which his road leads us through. We're not... When we confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, we're not finishing in, in a kind of soft, tapered way. You think about those words. We're finishing with with an immense crescendo. We're finishing with a bang. We're declaring truth about the end of time. The forgiveness of sins enables us to live a life now with Christ. Life everlasting, a resurrected life, that's about the end of time. And this is a massive kind of, like I say, a crescendo. It's, it's, it's loud. It should be loud. What we're saying in this declaration is 
what we're meaning by, by resurrection of the body, by life everlasting. We're stating a belief in the resurrection. Okay? The resurrection of the body. We're claiming a biblical truth here. We're claiming something that, that, that lives now and also promises a future. It's a now and a not yet of the kingdom of God, but we're declaring it as a now and something that we look forward to. See, Scripture tells us that death is the final enemy. That is, death is the final enemy for all of us. But how does that, when I, when I, when I say that, how does that make you think about death? Do you fear death? Do you dread death? Because, well, it's the end of life as we know it. And I don't ask you those questions to, 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 to kind of maybe try to trip you up in your mind, but seriously think about it. Death, yes, it's the end of life now. Does that create a sense of fear in you? Does it, does it make you dread a little bit of what's going to happen? Maybe, maybe there's thoughts about the people you're leaving behind. Maybe there's thoughts about well, what, what's, what's heaven going to be like for me? And having those questions. I mean, the saying goes, doesn't it, that uh, there's two things that are certain in life. Death and taxes. Right? Well, as believers for Jesus Christ, that's so far from the truth. That's so far from the truth. We can declare, we do declare in the words of the creed that we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. So the only thing that is certain for us here on this earth is taxes. Sorry. <laughs> but it is. Death is not a certainty for us because we, we beat death. It might be the final enemy, but we beat it. We beat it because of Christ. And I, I spoke on Easter morning about Jesus having been raised from the dead. And you can go and, and find that on, on the website and, and, and trial back and, and listen to the words of, of the speaking into the actual physical resurrection of Jesus. Because if you miss that, there's so much there that you need to know. And I don't want to repeat too much of that now because I'm trying to condense this all into one not too long message for you all. But I want to remind you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as he goes on in, in verses 12 through 20, he talks about the fact that if we say there is no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we are still stuck in our sins. And if we are still stuck in our sins, then our faith is futile. And we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. And the <laughs> I get an image in my head now of, uh, of Mr. T. For those of you who are old enough to remember the A-team, just pity the fool. <laughs> pity the fool. That's what we are if we don't believe in the resurrection. We're a fool. And we need to be pitied. Because our hope as Christians is in the life to come. A life which... A life which is available for all of us who accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Saviour. 
See, Paul is laying it out here. He is laying it out as plainly as he possibly can that our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we cannot be raised from the dead. We believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus and we believe that the same too will happen for us at the end of days. What we say in the creed is that we believe in the resurrection. We believe. And it's a physical resurrection that we believe in. And that we too will inherit. See, Paul writes that Christ is the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the new creation. The new creation, it's already begun. The creation of a new heaven and a new earth, it started on that first Easter morning with Jesus being raised out of the tomb. That body that was raised, it was recognisable as Jesus, but it wasn't the same. Remember the disciples, they struggled at first and they weren't quite sure. But it still bears a resemblance of his earthly body because of the scars that the nails caused in his hands and his feet, the slash on his, on, on his side. See, we believe in the resurrection of the body, not the resuscitation of the body. It's not going to be, you know, just like I am now. You're not going to look in the mirror and, and see, your, see your resurrected body. You're going to be glorified body. You're going to be in a glorified body, in a state of, of, of living with Jesus forever. For Christians, that is our hope. That we get to live beyond this life into an everlasting life. And we get to, we get to do this as, as John writes in his first letter in chapter 3 in verse 2. We get to do it and we get to see Christ as he is and be like him when he appears again. The more we, we look at this life, don't we, as saying, we want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to be more and more like him. Well, come the resurrection, we get to be more and more like him. We get to truly resemble him. And scripture tells us we get to be like him. See, death may be our final enemy, but it's an enemy that's already been defeated. Christ has already conquered death. And the end of 1 Corinthians 15, it asks the question, it says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And the answer to that question is that it's been swallowed up in victory. It's been swallowed up in victory. In the victory of Christ, having been raised from the dead on the third day, having gone to the cross to die for both you and I. So we believe in the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. And that gives us, it gives us a hope to believe in the life that is everlasting. But what we, what we need to be living right now is that life. We need to be living in that life now, not just looking forward to it, but we need to be living in it now. 
Remember the now and the not yet is applicable here in an everlasting life as well. Because we need to not only hope for it, we need to live in it and move forward toward it. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, uh, Paul tells us, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are of above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Our, our call as Christians is to lay down our life and to live into the new life with Christ. We have a resurrected life right here, right now. Not just something to look forward to as a hope in the future. This passage here, it really drills home that following Jesus connects us with Jesus. It, our identity is wrapped up by being in Christ. So our call is to live as a heavenly people. Our call is to live in the light of that identity as heirs of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, like we said, it's not just something that's coming, it's something that has arrived already. It's something that we know and we can, we can experience and we can look for because the kingdom of God breaks in here and now so many times. We've just got to look for it. And when we see it, we've got to share it. Because we're not just talking about the end times, about how things end. Yes, we know that they're going to end. We know how it's going to end. It's going to end in victory. Because the war has been won even though the battle rages on. I asked earlier how knowing that death is your enemy, your last enemy, your final enemy, how that makes you feel, what it makes you think about. And for many there is a worry that the, the things that they don't know or, or they worry about how things will cease to be here. What will happen to those that we leave behind? And the prosperity gospel, which brings many of this thinking into being that God wants to bless us now more than ever. He wants to bless us now more than at any other time in our lives. And we need to speak against that. Because we are saved. Yes, we are blessed. Yes, to be a blessing to others. But the biggest blessing is going to be in eternity, not now. People belittle heaven. Heaven is ten times, one hundred times, one thousand times greater than anything we can experience now. Let's not belittle heaven, let's big it up. The life to come is revealed in the word of God. I'm just going to share a few scriptures with you on that. John 14 tells us there are many rooms. And we looked at that already in this, in, in this series. Yeah, There are many rooms and Jesus is there right now preparing a room for you. 
Revelation 21. It reminds us that death will be no more. And that Christ is there to wipe away our tears. And Hebrews 13, it lets us know that we seek the city that is to come. And that no city here on earth will last forever. The best is yet to come. There's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth, and on that day, there will be the full resurrection of the dead. And this, this is what we get to live into, where we will be with Christ for eternity. Now, I mentioned to him, Jesus paid it all earlier, and, and, and in paying it all, he deserves our praise. In paying it all, he deserves our praise because it is through that action on the cross and then his resurrection that raises us to new life. So I want to, at this point, I want to invite you all to take your communion elements and just hold them. Because Jesus told us on the night that he was betrayed exactly what was going to happen. He told us that the body is going to be broken. He told us that his blood is going to be poured out for all of us. And he's going to ask us, and he does ask us to remember him and all of that that he has done as we take these elements. Just remind you, those words from, from 1 Corinthians, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It's swallowed up in victory. I'm going to invite the band up to play for us the hymn, Abide With Me, as you take your communion elements. And it's, it's in, the, in the summer playlist for you to sing along if you wish to. But you might just want to let those words wash over you. Remind yourself that death may be the final enemy, but that death has no victory. Because the victory is with Jesus Christ. For those of you who are at home, I'm going to put into the comments of the Facebook feed... Um, a prayer for receiving spiritual communion as you're not able to be here with us today to receive the actual elements. So as we receive it, as you take that bread, as you drink the juice, remember you are forgiven, you are called into a resurrected life. And as you listen to these words from this great hymn, Abide With Me, Come to him and abide.